The spin is supported by NatWest. Why? Because NatWest loves cricket. The skills it teaches and the communities it creates and want it to be easy for everyone to get involved. To find out about how NatWest is helping make cricket open to all, search NatWest Cricket. It's the spin! <sighs> My producer's done it again. Booked two Aussie guests for the day after England lose to Australia. I'll be honest, I didn't even think Aussie comedian Felicity Ward would make it in today because she only got back from holiday on the weekend. But it is amazing how quickly she got over her jet lag when England were seven wickets down and staring a humiliating defeat in the face. At least I know Adam Collins, my Guardian sports writing colleague, is far too kind a gentleman to rub it in. But I am worried how much he's going to want to talk about Steve Smith. I have Englishman Toby Tarrant as some backup. He's been presenting a cricket show all summer and I am secretly hoping that he saw more of the final innings than I did because there was definitely a point where I just couldn't bear to watch anymore. Please don't judge me. It's the spin! Australia are 1-0 up in the ashes. In the opening test, Steve Smith besieged the England bowlers for what felt like six months before Nathan Lyon ripped through their batting in what seemed like six seconds. Fortress Edgbaston was well and truly conquered. We'll ask if Steve Smith is the new Bradman, when James Anderson will be back from injury, and whether England remember how to play test cricket. Yes, it's a truly epic come down for the World Cup winners. They can only win 4-1 from here. It's the spin! I'm Emma John and this is The Spin, the cricket podcast that's as experienced as Peter Siddle, as superstitious as Steve Smith and as unfailingly accurate as umpire Joel Wilson. Around the boundary of our oval table today, representing Australia, we have Adam at Long On and Felicity at Long Off and representing England, Toby is on the square uh, is at point actually not on the square leg boundary and i am at my usual position in cow corner mike atherton is here in picture form but we're always hopeful that he'll visit us in person one day so let's get underway (laughs) with a loosener a quick question designed to get you warmed up sufficiently that you don't have to go off after four overs and miss the rest of the podcast england and australia took to the field wearing names and squad numbers on the backs of their shirts for the first time in test cricket last week so what would your number be and why Adam, do you have a number that you would automatically choose? I did. I immediately thought 23, and not because of Shane Warne, not because of Michael Jordan, but as Felicity might appreciate, Dermot Brewerton back in Melbourne, oh, a God. footballer who I grew up <laughs> idolising. Uh, it, it's hard for me to look past it. I thought about football this week when James Pattinson was running in wearing number 19, another Hawthorne champion, Jason Dunstall, bustling into the crease, all arms and legs. As Stuart Broad said when he watches Pattinson bowl, it's snot everywhere. It's a full-body experience, so... <laughs> 19 or 23 for me. You can't look past those two numbers. I love that you've kicked it off with some very specific AFL references. Had to. On oh. a very heavy <laughs> cricketing podcast. <laughs> I know. The <laughs> Aussies are here already, It's people. not going to be like this the whole time. No, no, no. For no. anyone that doesn't know, AFL is a... No. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Felicity? Uh, I, look, I, I mentioned this last time I was on the podcast, but I think I am going to uh, do 700 is going to be my number, and that is the wicket that I missed of Shane Warne at the MCG. Of course, right. yes. While I was there. How did you miss it 
Um, uh, just to briefly recap, my sister at the moment he was running up offered me a, a pasito, which is like a um, a passion fruit pop. Yeah. And I said pasito because I hadn't had that heard that word in about 25 years. And I looked at her and then 80,000 people around me went uh, bananas. <laughs> this is great. So you would have the number 700 and then the word pasito above it. Yes, yeah. that would be my name, pasito, yeah. And then every time my sister watched me play cricket, which could still happen, she would be reminded of the betrayal. Right. I love it. Got you. Toby. Well, it's a difficult one because I'm a football fan as well, like soccer to to Australians. And We've been here long enough. We don't patronise. Sorry, right? sorry. That was, that was unnecessary. <laughs> but because they've only been wearing the numbers for one game, there's not these numbers that are synonymous with players yet. Mm. So as a Liverpool fan, number eight, Steven Gerrard is kind of the number. I guess my hero kind of recently has been Jimmy Anderson, nine sort of. But there is one obvious obvious childish number that we're all skating yes, over. Yes, please. Um, and I don't know if you had Lever's hoodies. Did you ever do that tradition? It's kind of a Surrey thing where I'm, where I'm from, right? When you leave sixth form college, you get a hoodie made. Sure. Right? And you can choose a name and number on the back. And there was always that one kid who got the childish number that we're all thinking about. And it's normally the same kid that, uh, same kid that when a photo was taken lies across the front. You know that sure. guy? Was it you? Yeah. No, it was me. It was me. And, but I was I was surprised that nobody went for the childish number. I was kind of proud that they were mature enough to avoid it. But Lance Klusner did used to go yeah. for the childish option. I'm trying to think, who would be the England player who would That's go for that was particular trying to number? Think. Maybe like Samet Patel when he played for England, possibly. Yeah, I could see him doing it. A slightly comedic character yeah. who, who knew they weren't going to be there. They were going there for a, a good time, not a long time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, it's funny you bring up Jim, Jimmy Anderson because I was thinking about going for number nine um, because it was the number of runs that Mike Aston scored on his last test innings. Right. Mm. And I, I felt like that was... And also, Jimmy's not using that number at the moment. So, well, well, Jimmy's true. not using any number yeah, G- next Jimmy's, test. But... Yeah. <laughs> Jimmy's number's up for grabs all round. Yeah, so I thought I might go for that. The, I mean, the other one, the other obvious one for me would be 99, because that was pretty much the first Mike Aston innings I saw was him getting run out at Lords for oh, 99. Right. I saw Joffre Archer the other day before the test match getting photographed in the team kit and he was wearing Ben Stokes' number 58. Not because he's going to wear 58 in the test, but because they just had him in Ben Stokes' shirt. So Because, because like, they're it, the same size? Well, what because I'm, what I'm hoping for is a bit of, a bit of, uh, a bit of um, subterranean activity with the numbers through the course of this process in the World Test Championship. I want to see guys walking out intentionally with the wrong number, as we always see in county cricket. <laughs> and I also think that it, it's quite odd that you can still get away with wearing the woolen jumper yeah. over the top of the shirt. Yes. Stuart Broad walked out to bat yesterday and his number wasn't visible. Really? It's they a quirk should, in the system. They should have the number embroidered into those cable nets. That Absolutely. would be very nice. Let's get, let's get that some... That would break my heart. Let's get some aunties onto that. <laughs> yes, if there's any aunties listening. But at the county game, I think they, they've got jumpers with they the do. numbers on the back. So I'm amazed that the England budget doesn't stretch that far. Yeah, they just couldn't won the pull World it Cup. out for the Ashes. I know, exactly. <laughs> like the, the biggest cricketing exactly. game in the world. And it does mean that at least there'll be a reason for them to change shirts, um, you know, swap shirts with, with the opposition at the end of the game, which mm. when you're wearing whites, there's really no reason to do that. Is there? <laughs> there you go. Now I'm just picturing Samit Patel swapping shirts and it's not, it's not a nice image. With Lance Klusner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so on to the first Ashes Test match. Now, I think there's a danger if we start talking about this game with the benefit of hindsight and knowing the result, we're going to miss a lot of things. Like, <laughs> for instance, the fact that Australia were at one point 122 for eight. Mm. So let's go back to the start. On the, the, f- the good old days, as you call it. Yeah, simpler times. Simpler <laughs> times. Simpler times. Uh, on the first day of an Ashes series, when England had been skittled by Ireland for under 100 just a few days before, and everyone was talking about how fragile their top order was, Australia won the toss and opted to bat. 
given the result, it looks like a genius decision, but it didn't when Australia were 35 for three, did it, Adam? We've seen many collapses from this Australian side over the years. Steve Smith, a year out of the team, must have thought, what's changed? Nothing has fundamentally changed. They lost five for 23 with him watching down the other end. But you're right, England bowled exceptionally well early on. They were definitely hurt by the fact that Anderson had to come off after four overs. But straight after lunch, I thought Travis Head and Stephen Smith were taking advantage of the fact that England were a bowler down. I reckon they might have been six or eight overs away from England having a day in the dirt. But Wokes, fantastic spell, uh, beats Travis Head on the inside edge. Broad gets on one, as we know he can do, against Australia. And it all comes down to Stephen Smith and Peter Siddle and, and what a combination you see how, how quickly we moved on to that Just, sorry you didn't let us revel in the bowling <laughs> at all talk about Broad's Pfeiffer like that is anytime anyone gets Pfeiffer I'm like that deserves a round of applause let's talk about it it's great stuff yeah I mean I, I worry that he's normally due one good speller series oh, you and think I, he's I, I worry he's, he's maybe blown his cricketing load a bit early <laughs> I, I do worry that, that I hope that wasn't it because he's going to have to lead the attack with Jimmy Anderson yeah. certainly missing the next test and maybe more I do worry that that was broad spell gone in a wasted lost test match I hope I'm wrong of course (laughs) yeah so Jimmy's injury was a recurrence of the calf injury he picked up playing against Lancashire for Durham a month ago Uh, and apart from his slightly surreal contributions with the bat he he obviously played no further part Jeffrey Boycott was livid that the selectors had taken a chance on an injured bowler Mm. hindsight is a wonderful thing said Jeffrey so how many wickets Toby would Jimmy have taken in this Uh, match 20 20 yeah he would have (laughs) taken although I think technically one had already gone by the time he went off so 19 I think 19 Uh, we just don't know what went on Jimmy warmed up. They wouldn't have picked him if they didn't think he could complete the test match. I don't know if Jimmy let the emotion get the better of him and deep down knew that maybe it wasn't right but just didn't want to miss the first test of the Ashes. He sat on the sidelines watching the England team win the World Cup. He must have been chomping at the bit to play in the Ashes. It It did seem too early, and I'm not an expert or a physio, it seemed too early for him to come back. But he did the fitness test... I like to think that genuinely it just broke down again and they did think he was fit enough because if it turns out that they took a risk or that Jimmy himself maybe lied and just to get into the test match and that's very poor form from either him or the or the medical I can't team. imagine Jimmy doing that. I think it's been said on this podcast as well that Jimmy is I think Ali Martin has said this that that James Anderson apparently knows his own body. Right. That, that, that is a line that gets used a lot in the England camp. I know mine, and it's very disappointing. There's lots I'd change about it. I, I, yeah, I, I like to think genuinely everybody thought it was all going to be fine, and then he obviously bowled in the fourth over and felt something, and then that was the test. Do you for think it. it's a bit too much pressure, though, if Jimmy Anderson goes out and everyone's like, oh, well, our bowling attacks... I forgot. Can I swear on this? <laughs> no. Oh, Glad you checked. Mucked up. Uh, you know, I wonder what you were going to say. I, I get yeah. I it runs it, with Mark. Yeah. Um, ducked up. Yeah. Maybe. Right. Got you. But like it, it like Jimmy, he's been playing for sixteen years. Like he's great. Sure. But surely it shouldn't just rest that if he's not there, then there's... And it, and it doesn't. I mean, the, the one thing about the England squad for this Ashes series is there is an absolute embarrassment of bowlers on that, on that list. We've been None talking of them about... turned up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it sounds like he should have played the warm-up game, right? Like, with the benefit of hindsight, he yeah. should have played the game at Lords. Joe Root said that he could have played at Ireland the previous week. That would have been a suitable fitness test. Mm. I mean, uh, the idea that he knows his body, I think, is a credible one. He was so injured two or three years ago when he kept missing a test here and missing a test there that he, he was given responsibility for that himself. Sorry if I'm jumping into your questions already, but you can get away with losing a fast bowler during a test match if your spinner can hold up an end and you can rotate the yeah, seamers. But sure. Moeen Ali's poor bowling was more of a problem once Jimmy went off than anything else. That's right, yeah. 
I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry if you've got a question going. Moment, Ali's bowling. <laughs> uh, no, it's more like I've been thinking. How do we tenderly talk about Moeen Ali's bowling because he is of this parish, mm. Guardian columnist, mm. uh, and a very good one. Yes, ha- and a very good one, and a lovely chap. And yeah, how can we uh, be true but fair to the man? It's hard, isn't it? He needed to do a job on day four. He couldn't do the job. His rhythm was all over the place. Not just the moon balls, but the way he was changing his action Mm. ball on ball, which suggests that there's something amiss above the shoulders. And I think that it has to come back to Australia, doesn't it? Well, when you say above the shoulders, I mean, I think we're talking talking in the headspace, surely that far above the shoulders. I mean, because he's not batting well either. Well, that's what I mean. Like, uh, you know, the idea that sometimes with, with fast bowlers who are batting well, I remember Mitchell Johnson would say that if he was bowling well, he'd make runs. I think even though Moeen's principal craft is with the ball at the moment, the fact that he can't get the ball off the square against Nathan Lyon, he's been dismissed by Lyon nine times in his yeah. last ten contests mm-hmm. against him. That starts to play on a cricketer. We, I mean, it even starts to play on an umpire. Look at Joel Wilson's performance through the game. He was obviously um, suffering from that anxiety. It felt like anyway the way he was making those decisions. It, it, under that kind of microscope, I can see how Moeen could be under that kind of pressure and his performance with the ball would follow suit. You know how Americans are allowed to travel with support animals? Maybe he always needs to be accompanied by Adil Rashid. Who, Moeen Ali? <laughs> yeah. yeah, just to, if, if he could take him out with him. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be adorable. Just or a, a little, little plush toy Adil Rashid. I'd buy one of those. Well, it worked last year. Adil Rashid bowled with Moeen through the course of last summer. Indeed, the last two summers, Moeen's been the most productive bowler through the English summer. So, mm. I mean, it's not the craziest idea. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to have to talk about Steve Smith at some stage. It I'm might, so sorry. It sorry, might as yeah. well be I'm now. So um, yeah, Stuart Broad's uh, famous wicket-taking streak uh, had the headline stolen from him by Steve Smith's first inning century. Uh, did I mention at the point that Australia were 122 for eight? <laughs> Imagine an English person is accusing us of stealing. No, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Felicity, you were, you were away. You were on holiday last week. How did you consume this uh, fantastic piece uh, of batting? With great difficulty and very intermittently basically whenever I'd get back to our apartment I'd go onto the um onto the sports app and um and have a little look and go what he scored that many oh okay I thought we were out but cool 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 (laughs) and then just coming back and seeing that we weren't out still was very very impressive um it's he's the fourth I think the fourth Australian to do back-to-back centuries in the ashes. Yeah. The last one um, in England was Steve Waugh, which was nine, 22 years ago, yeah. something yep. like Old that. Trafford. It's very exciting. Like, uh, look, I. it's a tricky one. Obviously, I'm Australian. But at the same time, we're watching one of the greatest best mm. test batsmen of all time. And it is, um, it's a, very ugly and very exciting. Like, <laughs> You know, like uh, there's so many cutaways. I've watched a couple of highlights and just Joe Root just staring into the abyss. of how, And you can see him going, I have no answers. Yeah. I have absolutely nothing to combat this. And they did look weirdly, even though they were, it was, it, it was uh, eight for 122? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's right. Yeah, let's say it again. Let's say it again. <laughs> that definitely happened. Let's balance this series out. Um, even with that, he still looked... Um, like he just, he just had absolutely – he had no way to get this man out. What's great is that every time Steve Smith gets out, even he can't believe he's out. Yeah. doesn't matter what score he gets. He's like – it's like he only feels happy when he's batting. Yeah. That's the only place that he feels truly happy. You see him in, in, in interviews and stuff like that and he's like, eh, you can see he's just got the twitch. You can see the, like the pitch out of the corner of his eyes. Like, oh, maybe I could just get a couple of, you know, practice balls while we're having this interview. You're like, chill out, Steve. <laughs> Well, there's a lot to that, isn't there? He says that 
that exact point that, that he doesn't like watching cricket. Nasser Hussain uh, did a feature with him for Sky before the start of the test match the other day. And in order to interview him, he had to throw balls at him in the nets. And I don't think it was having him on either. I think that's the only way Smith Amazing. would submit to an interview on television was yeah. having balls thrown at him whilst batting. It's his sanctuary, isn't it? And all those little it's ticks. BDSM, I think. <laughs> yeah, well, all that as well. All those little ticks he's got, everything he touches, it was all the same as the Smith we knew, the shuffling across his stumps. Not the most aesthetically pleasing player to watch, but Justin Langer just described him as the greatest problem solver he's ever seen. And I like that. Mm. It's as though Smith gets out there, sums up the situation, whatever the field that's been set, he evaluates it quickly and can get on top of it. And that requires such presence of mind and concentration. When he made the first of the 200s, the way that he kind of slumped over his bat, closed his eyes and took a big, deep breath. Sure, he was emotional, but he looked emotional, um, spent, exhausted, mm-hmm. yet he still had the, the, the powers to draw down on to bat for another 44 runs. In the second dig, by contrast, when he drilled England into the ground, it was a big, broad, beaming smile, like it was almost job done. And he realised that, as you say, first person to make twin tons for Australia in an Ashes test over here for 22 years. And it's amazing to think that he took that long to achieve it, given he's done everything else in the game. Yeah, he said it was like waking up Christmas morning every day, this test match, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, look, I think he's a complete bottle job. He can't get through the 140s. <laughs> uh, he's a nervous wreck uh, in the 140s, and I think we've got him mentally shot in the 140s. Now, I've got to say, I've never... We've had some trouble with batsmen. We've had trouble against people like Dravid and Graham mm. Smith had a great tour over here for South Africa stuff where I felt watching nobody's going to get this bloke out unless he gets himself out. And this was possibly the worst case of that ever. To the point that there was almost a feeling I felt amongst England cricket fans of, he can't be that good. Everyone was going, there must be a way to get him out. I do think, I'd like to see Sam Curran. I love Sam Curran as a cricketer. I think the left arm angle going across him is much more likely to get him. I think Leach needs to come in for Moen Alex. He looks shot again to get the ball spinning around from him. Um, Joffre Archer, it would be nice to just try and hit him occasionally. Just rough, <laughs> rough, something different. However, that's all very well and good. We don't have to bowl at the bloke. Like you say, I think we could do all of that and he'll probably solve that problem as well. He's, he's, he's a privilege to watch. The scary thing is, how good touch would he be in if he hadn't missed a year? Yeah. That's the scary prospect. But, but on the other hand, I reckon being liberated of the captaincy armband. I was and, wondering, you know, that... like I was. I've covered every. I've co- I've covered twenty two of his twenty five Test hundreds. I've watched him up close a lot of the time, and I'm not sure that set well with him. The captaincy. He was even more intense about that job than he is about his batting, yeah. if that's even possible. So not having to worry about the broader responsibility of the side, being a member of the ranks, I think suits him so much better. Mm. So. Yeah, it's hard to know in the absence of the counterfactual, but I tend to think that he can only achieve this level not being skipper. Okay. Also, what the year after it's done, obviously he had the, um, you know, he, he was very depressed about it, thought he might not play again. He did have time, though, to get elbow surgery and recover without the pressure of going, when am I going to get, you know, like yeah. lots of people yeah. with injury, it's like, when am I next going to get in the team? There was a set point that he just had to, to recover and he didn't have that sort of mental weight he did have the mental weight of the entire um, world yeah. booing him <laughs> yes. but apart from that <laughs> apart from that he's had a good year the elbow's <laughs> healing fine well can we just remember England did respond with a century of their own uh, Rory Burns batted for an entire day on Friday and if you squinted it was a bit like having Alistair Cook back 
Well, okay, maybe if you closed your eyes. Yes. <laughs> Put your fingers in your ears. Uh, Toby, will he score another better 100 soon? Uh, well, as 100s go, it was pretty ugly. I mean, he, he played and missed at the most deliveries I've ever seen at 100. <laughs> uh, I was really pleased for him. You, he seems like a really nice guy. I don't know him. He seems very likeable. Uh, we need an opener that can score some runs. It was almost like all his luck had come in one innings there. I've never seen anyone play at miss. You think that's got to be, that ball's got to be a millimetre to the left and he edges it. One of those 40 whatever times it was he mm. played and missed. So I still have huge reservations about his technique and how sustainable it is to open the innings. However, take nothing away. Good luck to him. And uh, I think very impressive to play and miss that often and just go straight back to it. Just okay scratch your mark out and go again and so yeah. good luck to him and I hope he scores more runs still a few question marks over that technique sustainability but I hope I'm wrong England needed someone to stick around yeah, and he did. he did yeah I just balanced that by noting that sometimes playing and missing in England's relatively a good thing compared to edging to the cordon at a catchable height yes he did edge a lot but most of the time on the bounce to the Australian slips mm. and a lot of the time through fourth slip how often would you have a fourth slip in test cricket mm. so as Steve Waugh pointed out it takes an amazing amount of guts to play so many false strokes and find a way to persist and survive for a whole day. He batted on all five days of the Test match, which is something that only three other Englishmen have done in the history of the Test in history of Test cricket. So, like, yes, it was not a flattering innings in terms of the aesthetics, but batting for all five days, making that big hundred, holding the England innings together, and not giving it away. There's this metric that Crickviz do that when you play X amount of false strokes you then get out I think it's 12 false strokes equal a dismissal Burns played 60 false strokes the reason he didn't get out I think it's a credit to him that he was able to put it behind him and, yeah. and, and, and focus on the next delivery which I think is the main reason why players do get out at that time they they freak out they're like oh no it's all going wrong and then yeah. they do something cataclysmic Burns didn't do that to his immense credit I would say as well to the Cook comparison that Alistair Cook I used to say part of the reason I loved him so much was if you didn't have the score at the bottom of the screen when you turn on the TV, if you just watched Alice Cook bat, you had no idea if he was on naught or 100. Yep. <laughs> he looked in the same nick on 150 as he did on a naught, and that was the beauty of him. He'd, go, he'd go and play a miss at one on 150 just as he would on naught. So there was comparisons there, but yeah. uh, maybe a bit too early to make them too full-time. Yeah. That's yeah. like the opposite of Nadal. Whenever you see Nadal play tennis, he comes out sweating. You're like, has he just finished a game? Yeah. And he looks exhausted for five hours. And still wins. <laughs> <laughs> I found the biggest shock I had when, when Burns got that century was when he took his helmet off and you suddenly saw his haircut. Yeah. His hair ends at, it ends above the helmet line. Yeah, it does. And so there was a lot less hair yeah. on his head than I was expecting. I was quite taken aback. Also, Maybe it was the, he was aerodynamic. He well, didn't have the extra padding. That was the key. Yeah. Well, also, uh, one thing, the David Brent goatee has to go. <laughs> that has to go. Uh, straight away, please, Rory. He is also the first, apparently, I think this is right, the first Test Centurion called Rory, which surprised me because Rory sounds like a very old-fashioned gentleman's name. Yeah. I think there would have been you a few a Rory's around when in When they the were bowling 20s. underarm, he was turning up every week. <laughs> no, apparently not. Uh, the Australians kept pushing to have the ball changed, which I found very annoying, especially since they then got their slightly out-of-shape <laughs> ball exchanged for what appeared to me to be the golden snitch. It was moving around so much. Is, is this part of the game fair? It was swinging four times as much on average as the ball that came before it. So, yes, oh. you, you do see that and you do wonder. I mean, it's a quirk. 
Both sides were doing it the whole test match. In the county championship this year, they've, they've got in the playing conditions. You can only have it on. You can try it on twice. You can ask the umpire to put the ball through the, the rings. They should have a better name than the rings, shouldn't they? Yeah. On, on two occasions, then, you, then you're done. You don't get a chance to do it again. Maybe that needs to be brought into the, the test playing conditions. Because, yeah, if I were a test captain, I'd be giving it a bash the minute the ball stops swinging. Mm-hmm. Indeed, on that first morning or that first afternoon, before England took five for 23, the ball seemed to stop swinging. Stuart Broad tried it on with Alim Dar, and Alim Dar said, mate, Back to your mark, champion. Can I um, just say, when you say give it a bash, we are obviously not suggesting that you, as an Australian, would alter the actual no, shape no, of the no, ball no, in no, any no. way. You I, mean I would, give it a I would, try. I would go, go to the umpire and I would say, hey, this feels like it's slightly out of shape. Why don't you give me a new one? Just when you said bash, I imagined you kind yeah, of like punching quiet. it to the ground. Yes. <laughs> Look, not all Australians, okay? Hashtag not all Australians. <laughs> There's so, no smoke about fire. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first innings. We'll be back after this break when Steve Smith will still be at the crease. But we'll also have news of a heartening win for England's women, as well as the heartwarming tale of the pie-chucking professional bodyguard finally bringing Europe together. Did you know that the first official Women's Cricket World Cup was held in 1973? two years before the men's. Or that a whole new bowling technique came into play to get around hoop skirts. There are lots of things to love and learn about women's cricket. As a part of its push to get everyone playing cricket, NatWest has partnered with The Guardian Labs to tell more stories about the game. Follow them at theguardian.com forward slash natwest dash cricket. This message was paid for by NatWest. This is The Spin from The Guardian, the podcast that found itself with some unexpected spare time on its hands on Monday afternoon and has now comfort bought a lot of really unnecessary tat. (laughs) Adam Collins, Felicity Ward and Toby Tarrant are my guests. You can hear Toby on Radio X, Felicity on the Unbelievable Ashes podcast and you can hear Adam on pretty much every cricket programme there is. I see him more than I see my own mother. (laughs) He's everywhere. Let's talk about the atmosphere at Edgbaston, uh, because Felicity has has mm. brought up one element mm. of it already. Australia captain Tim Payne was asked at the pre-match press conference whether there was a more intimidating ground anywhere in the world than Edgbaston, and he replied that he could name 15. So, Adam, what are those 15? <laughs> <laughs> well, he's only played on 18 all up. So what I like about Tim Payne's post-test match commentary on this was he was trying to deflect... This is a much better version of deflection than the previous Ashes series in 2017 when Nathan Lyon went out and said he was going to end some careers. That was his deflection in order to take pressure off the, the newcomers, which happened to be Payne at the time as it happens. But So after the fact, Payne acknowledged what we all kind of knew. It was all pantomime, if you like, and all attempting to make sure the headline revolved around him and not some of his new colleagues. Well, so, you know, he did it play. very well by misquoting Winston Churchill. I, I, mean. I enjoyed that. And, <laughs> I, and I liked how the colleagues, a lot of our colleagues, Emma, in the press box immediately jumped all over that. And within quarter of an hour, they, yeah, and, and it's not to say that um, the Australians, it's the first time they've, they've dabbled in some inspo quotes. I noted last week that Justin Langer said that he's got a, a quote from uh, Elon Musk on his desk in Perth. Um, so, you know, this might, at once 
stage, I thought it might be the Instagram ashes for, for you know, inspo quotes. Mercifully not. Now they're one up. They can focus their attention elsewhere. Well, it would be good if England put some put some Churchill quotes up, you know, the, never the surrender. Australians don't have any famous people to copy. Do you know what I mean? They've got no history. We've got so Kylie impo- Minogue. <laughs> yeah, got- Kylie Minogue. I'd love it if we started misquoting Kylie lyrics. I should be so lucky. Lucky, lucky, lucky. <laughs> Felicity, we've had booing during the World Cup, but was yeah. this the loudest it's been, do you think? Look, I there was one point that I was, I think it was on Sunday, and I, I was very jet-lagged, so I was listening to Test Match Special on, on, the, on my ear pods, and um, I could barely hear the commentators because the Barmy Army was so loud, and I love that. I absolutely love the spirit. I get Edge Baston. It's very similar to the Gabba. It's aggressive. I fully get that. I get booing Steve Smith when he first comes out. I get booing Warner when he comes out. I even get booing Steve Smith the second time he comes out. When Steve Smith has done some of the most incredible batting of all time and you sat there on day five and he gets the ball to bowl and you you boo him then, I'm like, you don't care about cricket. That's what I think. Well, I, I tend to agree. I share that view in that I think that as we, I agree. Start a test match, go for gold. And I think that by the time he brought up his century on the first day, there was a there was a section booing him. I don't think it was the entirety of the holy stand. My gut is that people who are cricket people who who understand the sport intimately booed him at the start if they wanted to, but backed off as the test match went on. Others who might have been there for the party to be at the holy stand, the mm. the nightclub of sorts that is uh, the, the atmosphere there, who, who may not necessarily care an awful lot about cricket. They might have been who we saw booing all the way through the weekend, despite you know the fact and, that, that the moment had well and truly passed. Booing when he got out on the one forty four or whatever it was the second time. I'm like, who are you? Yeah. Like, who hurt you? Genuinely. <laughs> <laughs> and also, like, I there's the pictures, you know, the the faces, the masks of, of him crying and the t-shirts of him crying. I'm like, yeah. On one hand, sure, that's funny, but also many men kill themselves because of their inability to be able to cry in public. Mm. So maybe we don't like hone in on that. And and I don't I don't remember. I was actually looking about it, looking it up this morning to see what Australian crowds did um, to Stuart Broad. Yes, to Stuart Broad, and and also to Tress Gothic to see if there was any yeah. sort of. Um, and I, I didn't find anything, but that that doesn't mean that it, I, there was something in my head that went. I feel like Australia. Australia. Oh, the Stuart Broad the, thing the, in, in 2013 at Brisbane. I mean, yes. The, the, oh, yes, yeah, that's what it was. The editor yeah. of the Courier Mail had the Broad ban, which required them uh, to boo uh, Broad at every opportunity, not use his name. And, and it's fair to say that that was taken and ran with fairly heavily in that they, test They series. weren't allowed to use his picture in the paper either. Yeah, I mean, it was obviously you know, these things happen in in, uh, in in you know media wars against players and so on. But I mean, there was a precedent of sorts. But I quite like the um, you only cry on the telly. It was kind of meta. It wasn't just you're crying, but it's almost you're only crying for effect on the television. Yeah. So yeah. on that level, I quite liked it. But as you say, there, there is a broader conversation about why they were zeroing in on that specific element to it, which, yeah, I hadn't really thought of it in those terms, but it makes a lot of sense. I mean, t- cricket stands having a bit of character isn't isn't a bad thing. They, they went all out with their fancy dress in the Holly stand. They had the Pope and his cardinals and yeah. Her Majesty clutching a World Club. A World Cup replica, <laughs> yeah. a World Cup replica, maybe, and uh, the 1966 World Cup team holding Brilliant. aloft a guy dressed as the Jules Rimet trophy. Yeah, which is it was great. It was I, I went to university in Birmingham, and if you've ever been on Broad Street on a Friday or Saturday night, uh, it's pretty much you see all those characters there as well. It's a pretty, <laughs> it's a pretty good place to be on a Friday or Saturday night. I've seen some things down there. Um, they didn't I, even know they were at the cricket. <laughs> no, they didn't exactly. Yeah, they just took a wrong turn. Yeah. They were looking for Broad Street. They were lost. Um, 
I, I, w- I personally wouldn't boo Steve Smith when he got 100. I wouldn't boo him when he got 50. Um, I probably wouldn't boo all round, although if I'd been in the Holocene and had a few drinks, then maybe I would as well. I'm, but I'm not massively against individuals doing it as well. I do think there's an element of, in cricket and the Ashes in particular, exaggerated pantomime, mm-hmm. I think is a huge part of it. Um, I do think that what I would rather see, see David Warner, he hasn't endeared himself for this whole new me man. He snicked off twice and didn't walk. That's and a he good snicked point, off twice Toby. and didn't walk in this test. Yeah, and one no, of them, but, a really obvious one, but, uh, that he must have known he wasn't going to but, no, but, nobody, but nobody has walked since DRS and no one should. No, and I, I, that's a whole different topic. What I would say is that that will only ramp up the pantomime aspect totally. of it. So I, but, I, but don't you think it was offset by the fact that he went out in front of them and turned his pockets out? He was blowing kisses to them at one which stage, singing along with them. Best way to know? deal with it. Yeah, Completely, I, yeah. I agree. And I agree. I, I, I do think part of their punishment is going to be the fact that it's going to follow them around for the rest of their careers. Mm-hmm. And I do think that's part of their punishment um, I'm completely against the uh, the booing of him at 100 I really am um, but I would never never slate an individual if they chose to express themselves that way necessarily um, but I do think it's exaggerated for effect in the Ashes but what I would like to see is rather than the crowd going at him he's such a good batsman that we didn't go at him and mm. by we I mean the England cricket team I want to see Stuart Broad going at him, not some drunk bloke dressed up as Kim Jong-un. <laughs> I, I, I want to see, you know what, rather than just bowl, it felt like they were running in with a parachute on their back at Steve Smith. I even looked at one point, Stuart Broad was genuinely bowling about four miles an hour slower to Steve Smith than he was to the others. It should be the opposite. I didn't feel that aggression, which is like, I mm. hope Archer's fit, because we can at least run in and try and get him moving around the crease a bit. Yeah. They just I, want him to take the single, don't they? Yeah, they, It felt that way. And, and the lead wasn't even 100 at that point. When was, the lead was 34 on the start of day four, 52 runs in the first hour, it was that they were willing to let Smith get off strike and target Travis Head, which even when Matthew Wade walked out, the lead was 115. It was like, they'd already thrown in the towel to a certain extent with Joe Denley bowling. It, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was an odd... Whenever Smith was out there, he just made the whole game feel completely different and England bottled it. Completely. As long as the crowd don't get too personal, um, the crowd will do what the crowd do, but the England players can only control and the Australian players can only control what they do. And I'd love to see them go harder at Steve Smith out there, not let him walk to 140 and totally. try and give up trying to get him out from the by the time he gets to about 15. Mm. Yeah, rope-a-dope is not the game to play at Test no, Cricket. <laughs> it really isn't. Nine men on the boundary. It was embarrassing at times. And this was real Test Cricket, wasn't it? It was such a strange change of gear for, for those of us who've been watching 50 over stuff all summer. And and suddenly it was like, you know, the brakes come on, everything, everything suddenly moving in slow motion. And you remember, oh yeah, sometimes we have these periods where an entire session goes by and I can't remember what happened at the start of it yeah, yeah. I, I had a real World Cup attitude at the beginning of it too I was like oh, Australia I don't even I don't even, I think it's going to be a whitewash I think England going to win all of them and then after the first innings I was like yes yeah, see I told you we haven't we haven't got a top order of it and I was like hang on oh this seems to be turning around <laughs> oh yeah it goes for five days <laughs> yeah well it had that feel didn't it for, for the first let's say three days every time the test match needed a partnership or a wicket to offset the ascendancy of the other side. We got it. So after three days, I'm like, I wrote something like, "Well, we're on, we're on track for a 2005-esque finish, given the way that no side can press home the advantage." But then Steve Smith decided to press home the advantage, and everything changed. It's sponsored by Specsavers, and maybe, <laughs> maybe Steve Smith's just got a little bit of laser surgery before he got his little 20% off, took it down the shop. Yeah. 
I mean, there is a point when, talking of Specsavers, you can see exactly into the future how your team is going to lose. And uh, for me, that point came when Australia were 200 for three and Smith was batting with Travis Head. I um, I actually had to stop watching and listen to it instead. I, I oh. just couldn't put it in front of my eyes anymore. So could somebody um, please describe Matthew Wade's century for me? Because I didn't see that at all. I'm happy to take up the bet. No, I, mean, I thought you might be. I thought you might be. Take it away, Steve. Well, it, it, I think Joe Root made a big mistake. He bowled Joe Denley at him. He was 15 not out off 13 balls at the lunch break. There was never any pressure on him early. After lunch, it was party time. I really, they just put the foot down. They were going at five and over. They advanced the lead to well over 230 by the time that Smith got out, which was a very rare mistake. It was the widest ball that Chris Wokes had bowled all day. Got Stephen Smith out. Anyway, um, and, and by that point, Wade was reverse sweeping, pongoing the hook shot over into the priory stand and doing as he pleased. And when you consider that he failed in the first innings, if Wade fails in the second innings, there is a massive push to replace him for Lords with Mitchell Marsh or mm. Marnus Labuschagne. Um, so he wasn't just getting an opportunity at test level. It could have easily been one and out again. So, you know, with that all in mind, it's a mighty innings from Wade. The first time he's played a test match in England and the first time he's played an Ashes test match of any variety for that matter. And and to do that, he's pretty much showed now that he's got the ability to to punch the bruise at number six and that's what they need. Did I see on Twitter that he had he was becoming a carpenter yeah, last he was doing, year? I yeah. was just about to say that. Like a year ago, he was starting his apprenticeship. And this is actually not dissimilar to Tim Payne's story, which Tim had, uh, he was going to go and work at Kookaburra, I think. And yep. ironically, Tim and Matthew Wade are from the same town, 20 k's out of Hobart. So they're both from this tiny town. Both of them thought they were shot for cricket that there was no chance that they would play, let alone for the Ashes. And then a year later, they've got this little Phoenix story. Well, wasn't it lovely when Tim Payne held Wade up? They played Ashes test matches in their backyard growing up together. Really? It's, a, it's a wonderful story. They'd never played for Australia together in the same side in any form of the game until this week. And the fact that Wade was batting with Payne when it all happened, it was just it was, it was just Adventist a lovely moment. Australia <laughs> fair. Oh, dear Lord. Lord. I'm sorry. I'm Toby, Toby, let's talk about the England batting. Yes, oh. Oh, really? oh, no, uh, do we, we have we, to? We, uh, we're, we're 20 seconds. Go. Yeah, exactly. How long have you got? Have um, you got Wokes? Mate, Wokes pulling up 37 at now, the tail end for both of them. I, you can both check innings. my Twitter to prove this. I said before the Ashes started, Chris Wokes should bat it free. Before Joe Root said he'd move up there. He's got the best technique. Mm. I think this. I, it, Chris Wokes batting up the order allows you to play every bowler that you want. So you could now play Stokes, Curran, Archer, Wokes and Broad all in the same team if Chris Wokes goes up the order he will score more runs than Joe Denley he'll score more runs than Johnny Bairstow at the moment he really will his technique is is very very good he only got out to that very odd delivery rise at the end mm. um, I genuinely think there's an argument for him to be up the order and I, and I said it before the test match and then Two minutes later, I got up for a duck against Ireland and I got I got slated, but I stood by it. I stand by it. Um, I genuinely think that he was one of the shining lights of our batting, which is a tragic state of affairs where uh, Chris Wokes is the is highlight. It, isn't that strange? Because in the, in the sort of warm TV glow of, of the graphics on screen, our batting lineup looks completely formidable. But then actually, in reality, out in the middle, not so much. Um, yeah, it's it looks like it. It goes on forever, but then you've got a Moan Alley who can't see the ball at the moment, a Johnny Bairstow who loves getting bowled, just clean bowled. <laughs> just uh, loves it, loves mate. Loves it. Joe Denley's the only one who's probably, there's a question mark over already. Rory Burns, who we were expecting to be a bit of a bunny when it scored some runs. But can we just, I mean, we don't have long enough for me to, and we're not allowed to swear, as was mentioned earlier, to talk about Jason Roy's shot. <laughs> but my word, if we could swear, they'd all be coming out. <laughs> oh, I... Uh, 
I don't, there is no excuse for that. Absolute excuse. But I, I don't care. Oh, that's how he plays, and we bought. I don't care. For test cricket's been going on for a lot longer than we've been here, a lot longer than we'll be gone from this this planet as well. And on the day five, you bet for a draw. You just try and block it. Best case scenario, he hits that ball out of the ground, and we get six runs, and now we only need three hundred and eighty to win. <laughs> I could not believe he did it, and oh, I was fuming. I, was, I thought it set the tone. Every batsman that came in after that went, "Well, I won't get out worse than Jason did." And I thought it was a shocking <laughs> shot, and it was yeah. the it was the throwing in of a towel. I was so disappointed in it. It said a little bit about transferring from white ball cricket and being essentially a white ball specialist to Test level. I've been arguing that Roy is one of the finest players in the world and should get a chance at Test level. But you're reminded at moments like that that he hasn't played tons of first class cricket in the last few years and often it's been at number six and that skill that craft of batting out a draw is something that you acquire from long days of doing it and he hasn't really had to do that that often so the, the counter view is that Roy should should play his natural game because it's his most likely well, it's the most likely chance he will to succeed and bat for a long period of time as we've seen in white ball cricket but I agree. When he went out, it was as, it was as though it was a, a signal to the dressing room that we're we're going to be having an early bath. Yeah, it really was. And I get white ball cricketer and he plays his shots, but if you want to play Test cricket, which he does, and I agree, he should open the batting because I think he could be brilliant if we get get the right out, get the right Jason Roy out of him. But you, he's watched Test cricket. Sure, he's played first class. <laughs> he knows that that is not the shot for the occasion. If and. Well David, just, well, David Warner, when he first came into the test side as a T20 specialist, carried his bat in the fourth innings at Hobart in a magnificent, controlled, slow innings. And Warner was known at that point of his life for pongoing people over to where Emma is at Cow Corner. Mm. And he showed that he was able to adapt and adjust to the circumstances, but Roy couldn't yesterday. He's got, he's an old... He's, to be fair, he, neither could Warner. But. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he's old enough and ugly enough and he's played enough cricket to know the situation that that shot yeah. was, was shocking. But he'll go and shut me up and he's going to score 150 in the next test. Let's, I can feel it. Let's hope. A quick word on the umpiring. Do we think that bad decisions are contagious I think to an extent they are mm. I mean Joel Wilson when one of the terrible decisions I mean it, it, I don't want to some of them are very hard the inside edges you know every umpire to an extent is, is using some sort of gut judgment on that they're very hard to pick up especially the slight ones off the fast bowlers but the leg before decision for Matthew Wade and the one from Joe Root yesterday were you just saw them and you immediately sensed they weren't out it felt like the the longer you appealed the more likely it was that Joel Wilson was going to raise his finger yeah. and that's not a good place to be so he's going to be umpiring the third test match of this series he's only just gone onto the elite panel He's done very little wrong at international level over the last few years, but he's had a shocker, and I wonder to what extent it is contagion. Uh, they made eight wrong decisions on day one between he and Ali Dar and all the scrutiny and all the pressure and the, the Ashes cauldron that is Edgebaston. I'm sure it all played a role in, in, by the end of the test, it being an absolute stinker. Yeah, Isabel Westbury wrote an article too um, about how the, the neutral umpiring, that you've got... Um, You've got five people, one of them who's just been, you know, selected into the elite panel. There's only five people that can do it. Yep. So it, the rest of them are Australians and, and English um, umpires. So it, it creates a bit of a conundrum. The th and the thing is, you know, if you don't have that third umpiring, then people are like, oh, you missed this and you missed... Like, it's it's a bit of a lose-lose situation, but I also agree that the pressure got to him and that when they the mistakes started to accumulate, that he started to doubt himself. Mm. I don't think it helped that Alim Dar, who's a very, very experienced and very good umpire a lot of the time, he had a shocker on day one. So Wilson yeah. would have been feeling the nerves, first Ashes test, and then he watches his much more experienced partner have a bit of a stinker as well. I do think generally, 
since thank god for the technology in this test by the way otherwise it would have been farcical i don't mm. know what the final result would have been but nobody would have been talking about the result they've been talking about what what if and if but uh well smith would have been out for 30 on, yeah exactly so it would have on been day good, one and, but the test would have been a bit of a dampener for yeah. anyone who had won it because it would have been all talking about so many bad decisions but i do think generally since technology has come in umpires haven't been as good because they yeah. know it's going to get fixed immediately i remember non-cricket fans asking me when technology was coming in how is that going to go and i said It'll be fine because the umpires are brilliant 90% of the time anyway. So I said, it won't be used very often. They very rarely make a mistake. I remember saying that when it was coming in. And then you watch that test match. I think they they just go, eh, I'm not sure. But if I give it out, they've got a review so they can overturn it anyway. It's like uh, it's like how many phone numbers did you used to remember when you didn't have a smartphone? <laughs> That's a very good point. Yeah. I, I knew heaps of phone numbers in my head. Now, I've, I've literally had, I asked my husband's phone number six times a year at least when I'm feeling something out <laughs> yeah. and that's I have my phone in front of me I'm just too lazy to look <laughs> <laughs> it's not all been doom and gloom for English cricket this week we mentioned the popularity of the T20 Blast on last week's podcast and the most recent round of games have been equally exciting I went to Lords last week for my first game there since I got my membership so I got to watch from the pavilion for the first time here's what I learned the bars are really weird some of the art is really weird hmm. the benches are really uncomfortable and when you're stood next to the five minute bell it's really really tempting to ring it <laughs> uh, I just about managed to behave myself but Toby I have been told that you once snuck your sliders into Lords, and as soon as no one was looking you took off your shoes and threw your sliders on uh, yes. Oh, you've got spies. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I now I should point out just to make it all very nice and crickety. I have done some ligament in my ankle, which a physio keeps telling me what it's called, and I can't remember the name of it. A F L T. So some letters. He put some letters together, and it sounded bad. So my ankle has swelled up horribly. Um, so, but to get into the boxes the other day for the England Ireland game. I was like, I've got to wear smart shoes in. So I You've got to wear socks too. Socks are all important on socks the MCC draft code. So I was very kindly invited to the box at the England Ireland game. And so I managed to get past security. And the second I was in there, I took my shoes off and sat there in flip flops. Mate. I know. I felt no. like. No. Which. Do you know how many women carry flats in their handbag on a night out? <laughs> yeah, it was, the, it was the male Welcome. cricketing equivalent. Welcome to the team. There was a general look of disdain, though. I, I did feel like an outcast. And I and I was saying to people, oh, my ankle, my ankle. But they didn't care. They, they didn't care. <laughs> they said, Colin, uh, Colin Cowdery once went to, out to bat with a broken arm, young yeah, man. Yeah, exactly. And there you go, sitting there in your flip-flops. But I forgot that you've got spies everywhere. So uh, thank you, spies, if you're listening. <laughs> I'm going to give you a tip for Lords next week to the listeners out there. In 2009, I was at the Lord's Ashes Test Match wearing a suit because uh, I was sitting in some posh seats uh, which I've been given through my job back in Australia at the time and the Queen often greets the players at the lunch break of the Lord's Test Match and I expect will next week there'll be some sort of royal royal welcome and I just picked my time quite nicely with my mate I'm like well the Queen is there with the players I reckon the stewards won't be paying attention and we walked straight into the members and spent the rest of the day in the pavilion oh now oh, suddenly sliding gate not so bad not so, so bad at so all so I watched Freddie Flintoff run through Australia on afternoon two of the 2009 Ashes Test Match in the MCC in the pavilion watching from the standing room area and it completely blagged in you took you- advantage of our queen <laughs> I did. So that you could get a nicer yeah. seat. And you already is our head of state. Anyway, to oh, she's ahead of state. You do understand that as a, as a full MCC member, I, I now have to refer you to some kind of disciplinary yeah. <laughs> Get the panel on. It's extremely <laughs> unlikely I'm ever getting MCC. <laughs> <laughs> 
England's women won the final game of their Ashes series. Sadly, Australia hadn't agreed to Heather Knight's winner-takes-all suggestion at the toss. <laughs> England set Australia a total of 140, despite none of their batters reaching 30. But the game was won with some tight bowling from Catherine Brunt, Sophie Eccleston and debutante Maddie Villiers. They shared eight wickets between them at an economy rate of under a runner ball. So Australia didn't go undefeated, as Alyssa Healy predicted, but unfortunately even proving a member of the Healy family wrong felt like rather cold comfort by this point. (laughs) Adam, does that victory offer any glimmer of hope for England or are Australia likely to have pulled further ahead by the next time they meet? Well, it's structural and Claire Connor, the czar of England women's crickets, made that point that they're playing five years catch up now, but you buried the lead there in your summary of the third one day. The Barnsley Express, Catherine Brunt took three wickets, top scored. It was wonderful to see her at age 34. It might be her last game of Ashes mm-hmm. cricket. 15 years she's been playing against Australia, eight series. And if it is her last uh, performance against Australia, I'm glad she was player of the match because she's been an absolute champion and standard bearer for this England side. Maddie Villiers on international debut, as you say. What a great couple of first wickets. Elisa Healy was her first wicket. Mm-hmm. It's like your first date being Claudia Schiffer or whatever the modern <laughs> example of that would be. Um, and and, and, and likewise, Sophie Eccleston, who I would argue that even at age 20 is arguable. No, I think she is the best spinner in the world at that age already. So there is some, there are some green shoots, but structurally in Australia, there are 100 professional women cricketers. In England at the moment, there's 18. Next year, when the domestic setup does get turned into a semi-pro setup, um, that will help narrow the gap. But I think it's going to take some time. And I don't think that's necessarily a positive thing for world cricket, women's cricket, that Australia are seemingly pulling away. So it's, it's something to keep a watching brief on. I don't know if we... Did we discuss this on the show last time that um, in Australia that we don't have the same class attachment to cricket, that we... Like girls play cricket in high school. We play it, you know, I just I went to a, a state school and you play cricket at sport and you play with the boys and it's not... Um, we're, I think there was one point where there was in the New South Wales men's team um, that none of them had been to private school. They'd all been to state school where mm. it's very much the inverse here where it's cricket is very much attached to mm. middle and upper class. And so that I imagine is is holding people back or women back anyway if, if that's not played at a, at a high school level over here. Yeah, I think it's school. I think it's, it's class, like you say. Uh, but I think perhaps to some extent in Australia, there's been greater access for girls who've gone to private schooling because there are greater opportunities to play in school. Yeah. I'm not sure whether it necessarily reflects that in in the comprehensive system but look it's fundamentally comes down to professionalism these contracts that were given when the women's big bash league started it was on tv all the time you got these fantastic role models playing every saturday and sunday on free-to-air television and on the main channel it was then channel 10 it's now channel 7 and suddenly cricket became even if it was not just behind a paywall, but as it is here, but behind sort of that that gender gender wall that is sometimes the case in cricket. Suddenly, that was demystified, and all these girls were playing the game. The participation levels are, are through the roof, and and now we have, as I say, a hundred professional cricketers in Australia representing their states, and and their big bash franchises, a fantastic national side. It's it's a it's a virtuous cycle, and at the moment, England need to catch up real quick. That's a real turnaround because I think it was about six or seven years ago. I think it was when I was living in Melbourne. Um, if you put all of uh, women's sport on TV together, it still was not as many hours as horse racing. Absolutely. <laughs> it has been. And, that, and that, to the immense credit of, of the stations that backed it in back in 2015, it wasn't a popular decision. They thought it was going to do terribly and they exceeded their expectations tenfold in the first season. So, you know, if you build it, they will come. 
One of our listeners made a really good point after last week's episode. Um, they said that considering Tim Murta destroyed England's bowling, destroyed England, sorry, by bowling <laughs> swing at around 70, 75 miles an hour, and considering that Peter Siddle was being picked to do a similar job last week, the obvious next step for Justin Langer was to call up Elise Perry, whose own <laughs> 70 to 75 mile per, per hour swing bowling has already been going through England like a wrecking ball. Not a terrible shout. Yeah. Can you imagine Elise Perry and Steve Smith on the same team? Oh, oh that would be I, next. I think I'm crying. I think <laughs> <laughs> they share a, they share an obsessiveness about batting, that's for sure. Yeah. Mm. And finally, a story that for a while this week overshadowed even a budding Ashes series. The truly awful bowling of Romanian Pavel Florin. Not a cricketer we were expecting to talk about on this podcast. The president of Cluj Cricket Club. I think you pronounced the J. Yeah. Mm. Uh, in the European Cricket League, he often drives 500 kilometres to play cricket because that's the closest ground to where he lives. Oh, and darling. he loves cricket. It's the best, isn't it? He is also, and you will agree with me if you've seen the footage of his donkey drops, not very good at it. Not at all. He's terrible. <laughs> so obviously Romania needs people like Pavel to help grow the game. But does that mean that we can't laugh at the funny man bowling? Oh, look, first of all... <laughs> Sorry, you just sounded so you, English. Oh, look. No, you're right. All right. You, you can laugh. You, you can definitely laugh. I'll tell you what, I'll take them over Mo and Ali at the minute for a start. I was going to say, there are a couple of moon balls in there. I think I thought, exactly. I thought that was at the exactly. Mo and Ali was watching that footage going, yeah, good, good bowling, good yeah. bowling. Uh, we can laugh because if somebody still plays cricket every Saturday... Um, that bowling gets me out all the time so ultimately he will have the last laugh he only so, went for 13 from the over I think the fact that it was televised on uh, on Fox Sports back in Australia was the reason why it was so heavily scrutinised but I reckon you have to laugh at it don't you but at the same time you have to go what an absolutely I love the story, love the, the story. A, a Transylvanian cricketer has played on television in a televised game I was thinking about Emma uh, the Wisdom Cricketers of the Year uh, the, the editor Lawrence Booth will have to think about his five at some point soon I'd very happily write that essay <laughs> um, very happily document the, the rise of Pavel Flora and even if he's not one of the, the wisdom five he should get mentioned in the good book next year I'm Definitely. going to insist on it yeah well I also just feel like as somebody who's failed whose childhood dream was to play for the England cricket team and never got close I'm desperately going through my ancestors looking for a Romanian grandmother or something yes. I reckon I've got a look in I've got a look in What's the, at what age do you go oh I don't think it's going to happen. What what age do you... Because I know that there's a lot of men that have that experience. Well, I mean, I still play. I've still not given up. Well, sure. I, still, I, still, I still... Well, I, I played, and this is not me bragging, but I was in like the Surrey youth setup. So at that point when you're 14 playing in Surrey, you're convinced you're playing for England one yeah. day. Even though you're probably the worst player in the team, you're going, well, the obvious next step from Surrey under 14s is to England. It's probably when you get to about... <laughs> 16 or 17 and you discover tequila over cricket you go yeah I'll probably probably give that to somebody else that's <laughs> Selfless, early selflessly I'm going to let Ben Stokes have this one <laughs> did you did you ever have that yeah I played at a decent level but uh, but I perhaps had to realise relatively early on like Toby that it wasn't I wasn't going to progress from the Hawthorne under 16s to play sure. for yeah. Australia so you, you just you just live longingly in, in, in the kit that you were given as a 15 year old in rep cricket and you continue to wear the shorts That's you're, a, you're, a, you're a quitter as well I've learned there because I, I've not given up I've, I'm still feeling confident that I'm going to get the call up any day now I, I saw your exploits on Twitter the other week having legs stump toppled out of the ground so you know you're, you're still a chance to have. thanks mate 
great. Thanks, Adam. Appreciate it. There is, of course, one more reason why we can't laugh at Pavel Florin, and that's because he's he's actually a personal bodyguard. Yeah. Yeah, not I take it all back. Of... Sorry, Pavel, if you're listening. Good bowl it. I will laugh as long as he's not in the room. <laughs> <laughs> like the man I am. <laughs> It is time to say goodbye to my guests, Adam Collins, Toby Tarrant and Felicity Ward. On our next episode, Max Rushton from The Guardian's Football Weekly tells us why he prefers cricket to football. Tom Chaplin from Keen tells us why cricket is better than music. And Jeff Lemon tells us why England are better than Australia. <laughs> if there's something you'd like us to discuss on the show, you can get in touch with us anytime. Tweet me at M underscore John or email us at thespin at theguardian.com. And until next time, goodbye. <laughs> The Spin is supported by NatWest. To find out about how NatWest is making it easier for everyone to get involved in cricket, search NatWest Cricket.